When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. Justin and Chris here with you for another week. It's the middle of December. It's sabotage time. You pick streets. I'm very, very happy to talk about this. Um, But before we get to sabotage, how are you, my friend? Doing well, doing well. A lot of of really fun chatter um, following our our Faith No More episode, which has been really kind of fun to see. I had no idea these guys were so popular amongst the metal crowd. I kind of always thought of them as like an alternative band. They're obviously got the funk thing going on. I just never realized how popular they were. So it was it was good to see. I got to be honest with you. Um, lots of opinions. I learned a bunch of new stuff about this band just from reading some of the comments. And I went back and I did listen to Angel Dust. I gave it um, two listens. I actually listened to it this morning on my way into work. And then I listened to it again at my office, much to the chagrin of uh, all my people that were walking by my office. But nonetheless, I, I was listening to it. I listened to it twice today. Very interesting stuff. A little more, um, a little heavier, I think, a little more metal in many ways and not quite as commercial. Um, but there was some really interesting stuff. I There was the one track and the name escapes me. I don't have it in front of me, but it actually starts with like, or I should say not stars, but there's parts of the song where you actually hear a cheer squad. And I thought I was like, it was like, be aggressive, I think is the song or whatever. And they actually start <laughs> this chant. I thought I was back playing football or something like that. I didn't know what was going on, but it was it was a really interesting listen. And I can see why metalheads are drawn to that album in particular. Cool. I, I didn't get a chance to listen to it, although... Um... Honestly, I didn't really. Get, I haven't. Didn't really hear much of anything new um, since the last time we talked. Just because, uh, again, I'm burning my way through uh, albums that came out this year, and and you know, moving things up and down the list, and working frantically to get this uh, <laughs> this list finalized. But I am really just in this glut of of like um, like average to above average albums. Like I think I've made my way through all the top flight stuff that. In that that came out in my opinion and now it's just kind of uh ordering all the the kind of middle of the road kind of stuff um I, and like um, we've we've been saying throughout the year like just a lot of really good albums have come out this year but just not a lot of really great albums so like ordering all the really good albums has been the hardest part so it's it's uh it continues but um i also did listen to a little album called uh, streets of rock opera maybe you've heard of it I, I have heard of it. I'll, I'll say this. Um, I also did not have a chance to listen to, to much new stuff, although somebody, I, I think it was Brian Clough, had posted um, a band out of Philly called Crip Sermon, this doom band, which had like a couple of albums out that came out over the last 10 years or so. Um, the reason I bring this up is, A, appreciate the recommendation. B, I liked it a lot. And C, I think that 
Doom is probably the one standout genre this year. And as a guy who's not like the biggest Doom fan, I thought it was interesting that that was the one type of music that really stood out amongst a, a sea of uh, other stuff. I'm also having really difficulty, a real difficult time kind of formulating this list. I happen to have the week off between Christmas and New Year's. So I'll be honest with you, I'll be spending a lot of time that week just kind of putting it all together. And then obviously we'll we'll release the episode shortly into uh, 2023 as we start gearing up towards uh, another year of the podcast, which is awesome. Very nice. Yeah, it's uh it's hard it's hard to put to make these lists. I have to say uh, it's uh every year I promise myself I'm going to do a better job of um keeping track of things and every year I fail. So uh well, listen, it's uh it, <laughs> it's, it, it it's a lot a like my task. it's a lot like my career as a student where I just left everything to the last minute and then uh had to bullshit my way through something at the at the very last moment. So but it worked for you. So You've yeah, got experience, I'm still, if nothing else. I'm still here. I still have a job. So, I mean, it, I guess something worked, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's let's go back in time. October 4th, 1991. This is Streets of Rock Opera. It's Sabotage's sixth studio album. We've gone back and we've talked about um, Dead Winter Dead, and we've done Edge of Thorns. So we've done two of the Zach Stevens albums. But we're going back even further now to one of the last, uh, well, really the last album that John Oliva did lead vocals on the entire album. Uh, A very good choice. I know it was between this and Gutter Ballet. I personally am looking forward to when we talk about Sirens and some of that really old stuff that, you know, kind of gets glossed over. Um, But this album, uh, you know, where do I start? I I guess I'll start with how did you get it? And was it the first Sabotage album you got? Was it the, you know, basically where did this kind of fit in, in terms of your um, acquiring their massive discography? I I believe this was the third Sabotage album I got after Handful of Rain was the first one, then Gutter Ballet, and then Streets was the third one. And, uh, you know, this would have been back in 97, um, like June would be when I first started listening to, the uh the the vaunted mixtape that ralph made me for my birthday and uh it had um chance and gutter ballet on it as the two sabotage entries you know one by zach one by john and so uh, i remember when i wanted to go and buy my first sabotage album it was between those two and i went with handful of rain um just blindly based on just the one song and uh, it just started a, a, a love affair from there, and I would, you know, went to get Gutter Ballet next, and it was probably Pat who said, you know, the next Sabotage album you have to get is Streets after those two, um, and so I believe I asked for it for Christmas that year, but then my cousin took me Christmas shopping before christmas and i i didn't know if my parents were gonna get it for me or whatever so i just had her buy it for me ahead of time and then my parents did end up getting it for me so i gave it to mike um who i spoke to today about it and um he was said it was funny because he said that um streets always makes him think of christmas time and i said Ah. well i think i might know why um and he said you know also i think like kind of the bell the bells at the beginning of the the tracks and everything it kind of has like a a kind of a wintry kind of feel to it. Um, and, and I know we've talked about it, that the, we, this could be considered the first trans Siberian orchestra album in a lot of ways, or, or just the, 
the the beginnings of what would turn into that um because you know more so than handful of rain more so than edge of thorns i feel like this really is and i'll, I'll get into it more with certain tracks but for my money this is where tso started with this album because right. they had this rock opera i concept i guess that had been kind of tossed about for years and they finally decided to do it and the story is kind of interesting because as it goes um chris oliva may rest in peace went into paul o'neill's like house and pulled out like this rock opera that paul o'neill had kind of put together in 1979 and it would ultimately become the story for what this album is and you can see it right like this album belongs on Broadway. This is this album is like it has enough of a story behind it and the music especially has that big time Broadway show feel to it. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm <laughs> sorry. No, that's keep going. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, no, I agree completely. It was it, it dawned on me that like this could be if they ever wanted to TSO could start touring outside of the Christmas season. This is the album. And yeah, and then you could do Streets and you could do Dead Winter Dead and you could do Wake of Magellan. But I mean, I think this is really what lends itself to that kind of style. Without um, a doubt. And I I actually w- went back and listened to the, the narrated edition um, just to kind of fill in all that story that um, I think the lyrics do a pretty good job of telling the story. But then you really have like this, this character... Um, which he literally calls himself as such. Um, (laughs) But like there's this whole extended story that he tells the whole way through. That's really interesting. Um, I, I, I I don't know for a fact that it sounds like it might've been John Oliva playing the, the character. Um, It certainly sounds like a kind of exaggerated version of John. Um, uh, another thing too, just looking at that album cover and looking at how thin John Oliva was mm. in that photo, it's like mind-boggling that um, that he's the same guy because uh, he looks he, he almost looks like too thin in in the in, on the album. But um, yeah, this is I just uh, I as soon as I started listening to this album, I was just I mean Jesus Saves just smashed me right across the face. I, I was obsessed with this album sabotage everything the um the ballads just you know believe and and if i go away and somewhere in time they all just blew me away um it's i think probably edge of thorns might might have been or maybe even dead winter dead was actually my next sabotage album then edge of thorns i don't really remember and then i really started digging into the the older stuff uh mostly because we ran out of the newer (laughs) sabotage stuff to listen to but um uh, but I mean, you know, you have uh, Bob Kinkle is a part of this as the, uh, you know, he does all the keyboards and, and he, he's a conductor and stuff. And he was the original conductor for um, TSO when they st- first started touring. And um, so this has all of the, 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 the personnel that would eventually be a part of what TSO would become. And, and so I think, I think a guy like Paul O'Neill had, much grander visions than what he was doing on, on with sabotage at this time. And I think this is kind of the beginnings of that. And you really see this magical uh, pairing of him and John Oliva together uh, and even Chris Oliva as well. Like just there's, he was that the magic that made sabotage kind of 
go past being this classic metal band. And then once he came on board with uh, Hall of the Mountain King, all of a sudden some of these real grandiose ideas are starting to come through. I mean, even if you, you going back to that album, the whole intro, uh, the prelude to madness, which is this whole, you know, classical piece done in a metal style that TSO would go on to play. Um, it, it's, Oh man, I could already tell that I'm just going to be very long winded uh, for the next <laughs> hour and a half to it, three hours. There's 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 nothing wrong with that. Although I do have work in the morning, so I'll, I'll put that out there. But kidding aside, I want to hit on a couple of things you said. I had never paid attention to the narrated version. I had never really listened to it, to be honest with you. Um, but I'm glad I did, and it was at your recommendation because it does kind of fill in any questions that you have about the story. Number one, number two. This was probably the biggest surprise. The rendition of Jesus Saves on that album is completely different than the the regular uh, the regular song on the actual album. The rest of the album is the same, but for whatever reason, they put a completely jazzed up version of Jesus Saves, which is worth hearing if you've never heard it, just because it's it's interesting. I've never heard anything like it. That's that's, that's the version. If they ever made it a Broadway show, that they would do because oh yeah there's gospel singers and like, it's a real, like it starts out as almost like a ballad. And then it, it, it turns into this, like mid, this mid tempo, like just uh, like gospel-y kind of like, Oh, it's, it's really cool. Um, I think it was originally released on, on, a, on a compilation that had come out. I'm not even sure if it was um, something that you would have been able to get in the States. Um, it was, I think it was called from the gutter to the stage and it had um, a bonus disc on it with four unreleased, uh, sabotage songs on it and that happened to be one of them it was and it was labeled dt jesus um but apparently that was um what the song was originally supposed to sound like i guess and it turned into a like fast-paced like really groovy rocking song that i i think is probably the most well-known song on the album um but but like you said it was uh that version, that 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 kind of more mid-paced gospel-y version that they used on the narrated version, I think lends to the story. If you're going to listen to this whole narrated version of it, it is kind of cool. Um, and I think I've also listened to the original version or the 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 more well-known version of, of Jesus Saves so many times yes. that I've kind of killed it. Um, so uh, maybe Jesus will resurrect it, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, so it was kind of cool to hear a, a kind of a different version of it. What's what was also interesting to me is, and and you said it, we we picked this up in '97. The album had come out six years prior, but in my head, it seems much older than it actually is. Like we only picked it up six years after the fact. That would be like us picking up an album from 2016. It's yesterday, right? But at the time, it just seemed like an ancient old album I, I thought that was kind of interesting but we weren't uh, we, were, we hadn't been around that long well, at sure. that point so. maybe, maybe i'm just showing my age that was yeah. a third of our a third of our life life ago at that point that's, that's true I, I guess it would be like going back like 15 or 14 years now right so i i, I with i'm with you um but it is it is interesting and just to uh round that out i know we've kind of made mention of a lot of these folks but john oliva on vocals chris oliva obviously doing the guitar work Johnny Lee Middleton on bass and Steve Doctor uh, Doctor Death Wackholz on drums. Uh, this this to many. I think is, it's Doctor Kill Drums. Yeah, I, I know. I'm I'm just having a little <laughs> fun at, um, at his expense. But um, welcome to Sassafras. <laughs> 
for many people, this is like the classic, the classic sabotage lineup, right? And it's ironic because this is uh, before you know before Chris Caffrey had formally joined the band. Although I have reason to believe that he might have done a couple of things on this album because he was touring with them in Gutter Ballet, so he was probably there and around. But he doesn't get any credit for for being on this. I'm not sure. Um, let me ask you this: We've listened to this album. 10,000 times over the course of the last, you know, 25 years. Does it hold up just as well as you thought it might? I mean, I'm sure you haven't listened to it probably in a few years, I I would think. Um, Does it hold up for you? Yeah, definitely. It's just one of those, it's just one of those albums that you, I'm speaking for you. So tell me if I'm wrong, but you just have to listen to every now, every now and again, just to remind yourself of how good it is. Um, And it, it never, really disappoints but i i don't i think it's safe to say i haven't listened to the whole thing start to finish since we saw them play or since we saw john oliva's pain uh perform the entire album at prog power which was what 2014 so that was eight years ago so it's been a while um so it was to me it's like chicken soup right it's just an album that's good for the soul and that it's like comfort food as soon as you have it you you feel like you're 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 in that happy spot. You're secure. It's nothing you haven't heard. It's nothing you haven't tasted. But it's just you know good old fashioned sabotage comfort food. And and what I think was interesting, at least for my money, this was so much more polished than anything that they had done prior to. Even Gutter Ballet, which was starting, the polish was starting to kind of shine a little bit. This it, they took it to a whole nother level. Lo- a whole nother level and it was like all the bells and whistles and the top-notch production and it just it was a step up across the board for them even if they were kind of going in a little bit of a different direction because i think of power of the night you know or hall of the mountain king this is a stark departure from from those two albums that had come out you know five years prior sure yeah i mean even uh even since gutter ballet i I think like you said i think there's a a market improvement in the production and the sound and just the overall sound. Um, I think that there's hints of what's to come on gutter ballet. I'm really excited to actually talk about that. It was not as easy as I made it sound when I said I was going with streets over gutter ballet because I hold both albums in very high regard, but um, I just felt like after hearing if I go away uh, at TSO and, and again, sharing Mike's sentiment that there's kind of, I hold I hold a Christmas kind of vibe uh, to this album, um, and you know, then just with the TSO connection, all you know, it all kind of comes full circle. It just seemed like it was the uh, the right call, and and I'm sure we'll talk about Gutter Ballet in. By the time it's all said and done, we'll have d- talked about all of the Sabotage albums, uh, and we'll finish year eleven with Fight for the Rock. I'm sure, but. Um, <laughs> Maybe there'll be a new album to talk about by then, God, God willing. But uh, yeah, it, it, I agree that like they're they're they went from being maybe what you would consider like a, maybe a godfather of power metal type of band. Um, you know, power metal before power metal was really a thing. Um, I think we've talked about like Iron Maiden that way and Manowar, like just kind of they were there doing powerful metal before power metal was really like a thing that got invented in your, in Germany or whatever. And in the late eighties, um, the, I think that the, the, um, 
the the inclusion of of Paul O'Neill brought in more progressive and more classical and more Broadway and more like and use a word we use a lot bombastic just yep, yep. a lot more like just the theatricalness um, to the whole brand and and again like I said like you start to see that with Prelude to Madness and then there's um, you know Summer's Rain is on Gutter Ballet is a really um, just a really over the top and, and dramatic song. Um, you could see that there's this like creativity that's just waiting to burst. And this is the album where it all kind of happens. And, and it's pretty amazing to think about that. It's, it was like stifled from what the grand original idea was that this was going to be this double album. Boy, like back then, a band couldn't get a double album out unless you were Bruce Springsteen coming out with the river in 1980 or, or whatever. Like you had to be, you had to have a, a history to get away with it because Halloween got shot down trying to do a keeper of the seven keys, d- double album in the late eighties sabotage. There's a number of songs. Uh, there's a whole list of them on Wikipedia. Uh, I, some of them have seen the light of day and a lot of them haven't. I don't know I was, if there's I even recordings say, of them anywhere. How but, um, much would you want to hear those albums or those I mean, cuts, you know? It makes you wonder, with Paul gone, um, if there would even be access to those songs, if there's sheet music, if there's anything, like if it were to be recreated somehow. Um, you could find Larry Elbows is, as a bonus track on the um, the narrated version of Streets. Uh Mike Apple was not <laughs> was included. Uh-huh. Uh, that's an inside joke. You'll have to ask us about that. Um, Stay and Desiree were two songs that were uh, included. Sabotage had a whole bunch of reissues. I think they were European uh, reissues in the late 90s. And each album had a, a bonus track. And it would be John singing a Zach song or Zach singing a John, a John song. But then they had Stay. And, and uh, I think Stay was sung by... John and Desiree, which Desiree may be one of the most underrated sabotage songs, by the way. Um, Zach sings that one. It's a really beautiful ballad. So based on that and based on some of the information, it sounds like there were more characters that were supposed to be a part of the story. Um, I'm wondering if Desiree might be the the ex-girlfriend yes. that, um, that he tries to call and can't get in touch with. And um, Stay is supposed to be about a character named Duke. Um, so there's... And, and through the, the narrated version, which we'll talk about, you realize that there's kind of more players in this in this, this musical play than just Jesus and the story. It's really interesting. I think I have a, a, a kind of a new appreciation for the actual story um after re-listening to this narrated version so um now you speak i'm just i'm just rambling at this point Hi- highly recommended for those that haven't heard this um, narrated version if you're familiar with the original album take the time to listen to this narrated version i think it only adds about six or eight minutes to the actual album but it definitely uh gives it some more color as we mentioned earlier i i think that for me the biggest thing i can say about this um it's I'll, I'll quote uh, I'll quote Aristotle and I'll just say that the whole is really greater than the sum of the parts here. Not that there aren't 
great songs on here. There are some fantastic songs, but there's certain like, but uh, like a song like St. Patrick's and we'll talk about them, I'm sure. But like, to me, that's not a perfect song. There's other tracks on here that are not great, but when you put it all together and you add the story elements and some of these other iconic tracks, you have something that is just truly greater than uh, each of the individual tracks on, on their own merit necessarily. For, for example, a track like St. Patrick's or something, which again, I, I use that as an example, not that it's a bad track, but it's not the best track on the album by any means. You know, there, there are certain songs or on, on other albums that I'll give a demerit to and I'll say, oh, well, that's why the album's not a 10, right? Because it's got three or four tracks that are just not as good. Here, it almost doesn't matter because when the whole package together, you almost forget about some of like the songs that may not be my favorite or something like that. It's, 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 it's stronger as a whole, despite the imperfections. Yeah, I agree. And I also think that the, the, the story also, because each song is part of the story, even if there's a song, there were songs that uh, St. Patrick's is not one of them for me. um, But like there's songs that um, maybe like, can you hear me now? uh, Or New York city don't mean nothing. Like, or two of the songs that were never like on my top half of songs on this album. But like when, when you know what the songs mean in terms of the story of the album, it, it gives it a whole new, you know, a new, a new vibe. And so like, I agree with what you, what you say, like it, this, like on their own, the songs don't have as much punch as they do when it's one complete, you know, hour long package. And, how many it even though it came out as a single disc how many bands were doing concept albums at this point i mean operation mindcrime was out so there's one but you know metal well, according aren't... to chris caffrey this was the first one ever done yeah so. well, <laughs> I, I mean i think i think uh, chris DeGarmo might disagree and jeff tate would definitely disagree but i'll 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 leave that for another day um before we get into it how do you pick a song of the week on this thing i you throw a dart, put on your blindfold and throw a dart at the wall. And I mean, who the hell knows? I feel like every time I listen to it, there's one song that stands out to me more than others. And it might have something to do with my mood at the time or whatever. I Um, agree. I agree. I'm not even sure I know what mine is at this point, but I'll, I'll I'll just have to choose it as we move along. I, I think that uh, mood has a lot to do with it because some of these ballads are so iconic. It just depends on whether or not you're in the mood for that. Or if you want something with a little more, uh, you know, chunk to it, I guess. Um, what's interesting to me is that this album starts with what I guess is the long, uh, the longest song on the album called Streets. It's, it's almost seven minutes long. I've always considered this to be just a big introductory track. Like to me, it's a, it's just an intro. And even though it, it kind of touches upon a lot of different things, um, that's, it really just, just sets the tone for this whole thing. It's, um, an intriguing track. You listen to it and you just, you're like, where is this going with the, the creepy bells and the children's choir, the haunting keyboard. And obviously that just signature Chris Oliva guitar sound and, and even backing vocals, which I don't know if they had employed very much on many of the prior albums. This is the, this is the track that kind of sets the table for the entire album, even though it's the longest track on there. But to me, it's really nothing long, nothing more than an exaggerated intro. Yeah, you know, that's kind of what I used to think. And then I think the last few times, I think it was almost like, all right, let's get to the point. Like, Jesus Saves is coming and Tonight He Grins Again is coming. Like, let's, let's get let's get cracking. But I think getting prepped and re-listening this album in anticipation of hearing the whole thing live, I had a whole, like, 
new appreciation for the song. Um, well, I love it. I don't want to be. I, I'm not denigrating it. I just think it. It really just is kind of the table setter. But no, tell, go ahead. Well, I think that's. I mean, I think that was really the whole point. Um, but I don't know. It, I never really thought much of it for a long time, and then it just kind of in the last few years it dawned on me like what what a great song it is, and and the fact that it is opening up like one of my favorite albums and and an album that i have such fond memories of kind of made it feel more important it was almost like time made it better um and it and it has kind of that like tso kind of kiss to it where there's just you can hear the the drama of the story already starting to 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 take place of like you know children begging and and like things like that like it was just setting this you can almost picture like this, um, a cold winter night in New York City. Like it, it's, it's this, 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 ma- the magic of Paul and John together that they just paint a picture musically that like, a lot of people just can't, can't compete with. And, and to that point, maybe that's part of the reason this resonates for me as much as it does. Having been born in New York City, working in New York City, I, I mean, I'm in New York City almost every day of my life. Right. And that so don't for, mean nothing. Yeah. Very, very good. I, I, I have um, a special relationship or a special, um, there's a special intrigue because there's sights and sounds on this album that I hear every single day. And like Jesus saves, right. It starts with, with uh, this guy who's kind of the narrator, right. Asking for a quarter. And I say to myself, there's not a day that goes by that that doesn't happen to me. And then you hear like, the opening of the bus doors and the honking of the cars and the people in the background. It's like the story of my life. So to, I, I, it's very, it's something I can definitely relate to. Um, and then it serves as a very nice intro to what is, in my opinion, really the opening song on the album with this crunchy guitar riff, um, heavy, heavy song, but uplifting, right? It's heavy, but it's also got this uplifting feeling of like this guy kind of, transcending his his lot in life or his rank to to become like this uh you know cult hero if you will uh, you know on, on the stage i think it's a just a it's a beautiful song i i definitely played it out because as a kid this was probably my favorite track on the album um but it's given me a i, I got a new lease on it both the jazzy version and even hearing the original just because it had been so long since i heard it i i was going back and um as I, as I tend to do, I, I go back and listen to um, the most recent episode that we do once it posts and it shows up in my podcast feed. And I just, I kind of just scan through it to make sure all the musical transitions uh, sound good, even though, you know, I, I knew they sounded good or I wouldn't have <laughs> dropped them. But I mean, I just, I like to just listen to it and just give us that one extra listen, you know, uh, and I, I just I got up to the point where you know we start talking about doing this album and and I use Jesus Saves as kind of the intro to that and I was just like man you, you just hear this song and it's just kind of like shit like gotta listen to all the streets now like it, it's it's kind of hard to just listen to this song alone I, I remember the very first time I got a sabotage compilation I think this and agony and ecstasy were the two songs from streets that were and believe obviously um were represented on it and it was odd hearing them on a compilation just completely taken out of the context of the story um it loses also like just the whole intro with the narration and everything which that's the narration everybody knows um 
just a picture of the same guy for the whole album. And that's the narrated version. Um, but, uh, I guess they felt like that, that they just needed him to tell the kind of intro of the story. And then that was it. Um, it's, I find like, it's like almost kind of hard. I can't unhear his narration of the other, the rest of the story. Like, like the part where he was like, are you going to finish that cigarette? Oh, <laughs> oh, unfiltered camel. That's my favorite. I was yeah. like, I'm like, like, it's just like you said, it's like a page right out of reality to the strange reality, if you will. But, uh, it, it's, it's great. Or like the, where the, the loud car goes by and he's like, Oh, get a muffler or something. Like, <laughs> It's just you know, just that. This is called that, Tuesday that, for me, right? Like this, yeah, I'm, just like some some strange guy just wandering around babbling crap in the city. I mean, it, it's it's every day. Literally, the story of my life. Um, we get to uh, tonight. He grins again. I don't know that I appreciated this track as much as I should have back in the day, and maybe it's because it was following Jesus Saves. But I absolutely, positively adore this tune now. So much so that in, in, a, in a on an album where there could probably be 10 songs of the week, I'm going to make it mine. Let's give it a listen, and then I'll kind of tell you why I'm choosing it. Wander the streets alone, the lost in search of his own. Once again, I played the clown, used my friends and let them down. There's this like beautiful simplicity with this song. And I find that many sabotage songs have this effect. It's not the most complicated music in the world um, in many ways. And I think back to that John Oliva clinic we saw him do at Atlanta, where he actually made a song that wound up on one of his solo albums in front of, you know, 50 people or a hundred people that were watching him just literally put a song together out of the blue. Um, there's, it's just so simple, but so, um, passionate in many ways it's just so like it just it's it, it just the hooks are there and it just kind of gets you but why i choose this track in particular is for me this was the bridging of the gap for sabotage there are elements of their older stuff that are on this track and then there's elements of stuff from like dead winter dead and, and the wake of magellan and this is like the perfect marriage of old and new sabotage with awesome keyboards and one of my favorite Chris Oliva performances on any song. It is dark, but so catchy. It's just a beautiful track. There's a really, really good, um, like pro shot version of this song performed live. Um, which, you know, think about how long it's been since sabotage was an active band, like pro shot material, is kind of few and far between when you just go on YouTube and you're looking for some high quality, uh, you know, sabotage live stuff. Um, we, we should probably sh- uh, share this one during the week just because um, it's, I, 
always go back to it. I'm like, my God, like John performed this song live as good as you think this would be a difficult song to sing live. And fast forward years after that, but it's to me, it's one of the most memorable songs that they performed at Prague power. Um, him just sitting there playing the piano and looking up to Chris Oliva every time he had to hit a high note. Like it was the whole performance was an emotional roller coaster, but I specifically remember that song in particular, just really um, standing out and, uh, you know, mad props to the whole band who had the unenviable job of recreating a sabotage album without any of the original members of sabotage outside of the mountain King himself. But uh, to echo your sentiments, this is what this has gone down as one of my absolute favorite songs on the album. And I always look forward to hearing it. It's such a great uh, follow up to streets because it kind of streets is like you said, it kind of has like this up, this really upbeat kind of uh, almost anthemic kind of vibe to it. And then now you're getting to the part of the story where, the drugs are calling out to him. And that's that monkey that they talk about in the song, the monkey on his back. Um, so again, with the storyline involved, I think the song takes on even more meaning. Um, if you know anything about John Oliva takes on uh, even more meaning in reality. Um, so yeah, it, it, I think that it, it's again, um, we'll probably beat this to death in, in the years that we'll spend talking about this band, but they are, masters of every type of song it, it, it could be a they're one of the best when it comes to rock ballads one of the best when it comes to rock anthems mid-tempo they do everything fantastically and so streets into tonight he grins again is a perfect example of two songs that sound absolutely nothing alike but are both incredible songs yeah w- well said and and it's at this point to, to what you said where the album really starts to take this turn and, and strange reality, I think, is really a turning point on the album, which on an album with many turning points. Talk to me about your thoughts on this because um, there's one part of this song in particular which I'll get to, but I, I, I want to give you the floor and, and see if you pick up on it. But there's one part of this song in particular which I think is brilliantly done. Uh, yeah. So, like, I always considered this to be one of the kind of like mid mid songs like right, right. To, to quote mjf it's it's kind of mid um <laughs> but uh it's another song i think i appreciate more now nowadays just because um i think just it's following this like very theatrical song tonight he grins again and this one's just a little bit middle of the road pedestrian compared to like jesus saves and tonight he grins again this is just kind of a a, a, a straightforward kind of rocker type of song um, I'm curious, uh, your thoughts on this one. I, I do, I do like this song. It's not one of my favorites on the album, but I, I think I like it a lot more than I did when I was younger. This was almost like, a, a, almost a skipper for me, probably back in the day that it, it's not anymore. I, I echo those sentiments. I definitely like it more now, but what really popped to me this time, and it's something that I just never heard before. The last guitar solo on this song, which is phenomenal, by the way. But the last solo is like a guitar solo, which kind of goes off the rails a little bit. And it actually reminds me of like somebody on drugs, like just kind of not 
doing so well, right? Like just really kind of battling those inner demons or what have you. And I thought that there was a brilliance in that because of all the solos that Chris could have played, he plays this guitar solo almost like he's, it gives you the impression that there's like something is not well here or like somebody's like strung out. And I just thought that that was so brilliant. I don't even know if it was intentional. I have to think it was, but to me that makes a pedestrian song awesome just because of that one guitar solo that kind of paints the picture for, for the, um, you know, the, the, the denigration or the de- I should, should say like the degeneration of, of this particular character, just like, just kind of going into, you know, a downward spiral to say. Right. And th- so this is kind of the part in the story where Jesus runs into like this musician that he once idolized. And now he's just like this, this like down his luck drunk, um, you know, and just, an- and it's, it's in the, in the narration, it's kind of just, he's just another alcoholic, I think were the exact words used. And so me, like what you say might make complete sense, actually, that like, that's exactly what they were going for is this is kind of, it almost, um, represents the downward spiral that this other musician is taking. And, and a lot of the story is kind of like Jesus kind of um, coming to terms with what he doesn't want to end up and, and actually seeing what his future could be. It's almost has very, um, very ghost of Christmas future kind of vibe to it. Um, yes. But it's just kind of like, you know, I mean, literally the word, the lyrics are that could be me like that. It's, it's a really well um a well placed song in, in as far as the the story goes so um I, I think that this one really uh i think this one really benefits to having the <clears throat> the narration and the the story kind of preceding it and giving you a little more context yeah and and like only sabotage can this album has a million ballads on it and yet a little too far i guess the next track is kind of the first real ballad of 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 the bunch but they're all great in their own way now i'm not going to say i mean i think we could sit here and say oh i like believe i like i I like um you know a number of these ballads but there's a lot of them on here but a little too far is the first and it is definitely definitely a memorable one i I, for my money nobody writes a sabotage a ballad better than sabotage and all you need is john oliva and a piano. And that's what you get on this track. And it's and a and box it's, of tissues and a box of tissues. That's all you need. <laughs> and you had mentioned, you know, various tracks at, at Prague power. This to me was one of the standout tracks where it's just a quiet room and Oliva who has 1200 people in the palm of his hand as he sits behind that piano. Mm-hmm. The irony though. And I, I want to know if you remember this, this was at the end of their set. They played all of streets, but they actually forgot to play um, a little too far. So he kind of just added it on after believe. And even then he still had the room, uh, you know, in the palm of his hand, it was uh, a little bit of a mess up, but the man has so much control over a room that it didn't matter. I I think there were people like yelling from the crowd at the end, like yes. you didn't play. And he, and he, it, like, you could see the light bulb like turn on yeah. above his head. Like, Oh shit. Like we just, the whole band just completely missed yep. it. And, they're probably waiting for him to take their cues or whatever, and maybe they just figured like no, we're not the master, it. the mastermind decided we're not going to play it, and yeah, so he was just like, well, screw it, we'll play it, play it at the end. Um, yeah, this was um, this is this was always one of my least favorite of the many ballads on on this album. I would say I think maybe just because it's 
kind of the same thing, the same song just repeated in, in, in kind of a short amount of time. But that said, it's still better than 90% of any <laughs> other band's ballad they've ever had. Um, so I think it's just kind of... Um, kind of the story of where he's kind of lamenting about um like how he took things too far with with the drinking and the drug use that he blew his whole career and all that and that this is kind of him lamenting about it um before he kind of has this almost this renaissance uh in uh, with the next song but this is kind of showing and i think the ballads also represent some of like the low points in the character's journey throughout the song so i think this is one of those times and then we'll get back to like that with saint patrick's this is like a real roller coaster um both from a story standpoint and also musically speaking but um this is just i think that part where he's kind of you know lamenting where he's at and and um especially after like meeting this vision of what he could you know could end up and you know not being remembered and just being this just another alcoholic like he says about the guy in strange reality so um but yeah i think it almost was even more powerful live just with john like you said sitting there with his keyboard and like basically the puppet master in front of 1200 people like just half of them were sobbing and the other half were just mouths agape in awe that they were even seeing it happen i was i gotta be honest with you and i'll just i'll just throw it yeah right exactly i want to throw this in there this was right after pain of salvation had played all of remedy lane like that is just nuts when you think about it i mean like remedy lane is one of my favorite albums of all time and i'm not really sure that anyone would have been able to follow that except for john oliva who quite frankly, blew it out of the park. That whole weekend was just crazy. Uh, you know, you had mentioned that to me and then I, I thinking about it and I'm like, there were other albums that, that weekend. And, and then, you know, I was thinking about it and I was like, shit, like just the night before seventh wonder played mercy falls only to be followed by Stradivarius playing visions and then the next day we are sponsoring master plan, seeing them play for the very first time right before remedy lane and streets. I mean, it was insane. Like you talk about, I, I, I think um, the only thing that, that kind of rivals that to me is like Royal hunt playing paradox followed by Angra playing Holy land. Um, yeah. You know, just that one, two punch of two all time albums, but, two nights in a row of that. Like that was, and I think Stradivarius wasn't billed as playing visions. That was something that came about later on. The the other three, I think were billed as these are the three albums that are going to be played And the Stradivarius. Maybe they were just, they felt left out. They were like, you know, we can do well, this. If yeah. If everybody else is playing an album, why not? Why don't we, I mean, I can't think of like four more iconic sets and they were all in the same two day span. Like that was really pretty incredible. Yeah, no, no argument for me. I just thought I would shoehorn that in there. Um, we, we get to uh, the rise of text with You're Alive. This provides such a nice contrast to A Little Too Far because this song is so uplifting. And to be completely honest with you, this to me 
could have been on that first TSO album and you would have not blinked. This song is, for my money, the first TSO song that was ever penned because it literally sounds like it could have been on Christmas Eve and other stories. Um, it's a touch faster than a lot of the songs that precede it, but I actually like the fact that it's kind of short. It's not a long track. It's only It comes in at, what, like a minute and 51 seconds, but like they cram a lot in there and it's um, – it didn't need to be longer. It was just a beautiful, beautiful track. Yeah, I know on some some of the the liner notes or, or album backs, like they have this and Sammy and Tex is kind of like a you know you're alive slash Sammy and Tex, like mm. it, it's a, almost supposed to go together, and they really do complement one another. Like one is this like really upbeat, like. Uh, like life affirming track and the other one is just like fucking bar chaos um <laughs> <laughs> like um so that i think there's such a cool um dichotomy there between those two tracks this was one of the songs i really liked immediately the first time i heard it because it just like that's the kind of stuff that just sucks me in immediately is when it just has a lot of energy and, and a lot of positive energy and this song has that um, well, I think that just, Sammy and Tex does not have that right because no, it, is, it, no, is, it no. is it is it is just a blistering and, and heavy the way that the way that you're alive just abruptly ends. It's just perfect for storyline purposes because all that joy just goes out the, out window, the window almost immediately. Yeah, and and to me, like as much as I think that you're alive is like the first TSO song, Sammy and Tex could have been on Power of the Night and you wouldn't have blinked. So you're gonna you say it's the first Doctor Butcher song. <laughs> Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, what is it? Yeah, th- that's another album I haven't listened to in forever. Good, good call. I- I'm gonna play that tomorrow. Um, I God, I used to play the hell out of that album. It's probably not as good as I remember it, but I digress. Um, we go from Sammy and Tex to another ballad in St. Patrick's, and I kind of referenced it earlier. It's probably not my favorite. I do like how it starts, almost like a prayer. It almost feels like. He goes to St. Patrick's Cathedral, and as someone who's been there countless times, it really is a a transformative experience. What I don't love about the song, though, is even though it slowly starts to build and get heavier, they almost go into this like Russian march type of section that I never quite understood why they really just changed this song over. Um, It's almost like a jig, and I, I just never... That took me out of the element, but I will say it ends very strong and it is very emotional. Um, but for some reason, that middle section takes me out of the moment a little bit. Uh, so it's in the storyline, um, you know, uh, DT gets reunited with his his uh, his buddy Tex and it's all this happiness. And then this guy, Sammy, who's a, a pimp that DT, you know, DT Jesus owes money to or whatever. He shows up and and there's a, a fight breaks out and and uh, Tex ends up getting killed um, and and so St. Patrick's is the next part of the story where like now the elation is gone and now DT's in a, a bad place and, and as any drug addict would know like when you're down and out in a bad situation where's your brain go you know goes to using again and so this is kind of in my opinion this is like him reaching out to god like i just lost one of my good friends like i need some affirmation you know something a little bit more otherworldly to kind of get me through this really garbage part of my life and um 
and you know the, it's well named because this, in the story he literally is go, goes to St. Patrick's Cathedral and, and starts to pray. Um, so something about the song hit me before we would see um, you know John Oliva perform this whole album at Prague Power, and it just. I remember listening to it before that and thinking to myself, Oh my God, this is going to be, this is, this song is going to just destroy me. I don't know why, but hearing it live is just going to like, it's just going to like resonate in a way that's going to make me so emotional. And sure enough, when that day came, like I was sobbing, I was standing like, like in the second row from the stage and this, this song started playing and something just, absolutely came over me i was like a disaster and i i never i don't think i've ever been like that at a concert i've gotten weepy and teary and that's not unusual but uh i (laughs) what was weird it was that it was at an enslaved show but that that, (laughs) yeah i was at a a creator show and i just (laughs) broke down that's just because Uh, you probably got kicked in the head when the horde started coming after you yeah i got kicked in the nose so the tears came (laughs) naturally um and to, to to this day it's the the most emotional live music experience I've ever had in my life. And for that reason, this is my song of the week. And I, to this day, I can't listen to it. And I just not feel the, the organs and the, just the John Oliva's performance, the lyrics, the story that to me, like, this is just the epitome. I think this is, to me, this is a better ballad than believe. And I know that's sacrilege to a lot of people. And if I go away, I think is a really, really good song too. And at one point that probably would have been my song of the week, especially when I was much younger, but this song for whatever reason has taken on a life of its own in my head. And so, I mean, I don't know what else to say, but um, yeah, I agree that it's weird that there's like this kind of marchy part. I I have to think that it, it represents something that he's kind of going through mentally because it, it builds and it builds and it builds. And then John Oliva just lets out this scream and it it just goosebumps. Like it's just, I, I, I I don't know. And then, and then it just slows down and then, and and it goes back to that kind of whisper piano whisper kind of thing. And then, and then, and then I'll even leave the dime to just finish it off. I mean, it was just, it's just a perfect, perfect, beautiful, unbelievable song with just the imagery, the, the, like I said, the organs that sound like a church organ. Like it's just, I don't know. I can't, I can't think of a song being much better than this. So let's give it a listen and I'll try not to cry again. <laughs>
I have to say, I, I was not expecting you to choose that, but I'm, I'm glad you did. I, 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 with that backdrop, I'm not sure how I, how you could have selected anything else. I hope I did it justice with that, with that explanation. Uh, I got a round of applause. I, I think, <laughs> um, can you hear me now is the next track. This is another one of those ominous sounding tunes. And I love how it goes from like dark to dark and heavy. Like it just, it, it, this thing, this song kind of just hits you in the face um, and the lyrics on this would be used on many albums in, in the Sabotage uh, pantheon to come just because they often recycle lyrics or, you know, portions of lyrics. Um, this is an underrated song for me. And I think that parts of the instrumental section could have easily been on Dead Winter Dead and you would have not have blinked and batted an eyelash, just, you know, some of that instrumental section towards the end. Um, and, and one person who we really haven't talked about much was Steve Wackholz. I thought his drum fills on this track were just phenomenal and some of the most underrated coolest drum fills on the entire album. I mean, well said, I I think, yeah, I think that oftentimes the Oliva brother plus Paul O'Neill trifecta just overshadows everything else that's going on. But you have to understand that like these other members of sabotage through the years are all pretty unbelievable musicians. And, and, you know, Steve Wackles is no, no exception. Jeff Plate, another outstanding drummer. Chris Caffrey, a, an unbelievable guitarist. Al Petrelli, even more so uh, technically proficient, a one-time member of Megadeth. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been a lot of uh, a lot of quality members uh, in this band, but I mean, I think they do just tend to get kind of overshadowed by this magical team of of voice, guitar, and concept. Um, this is um, another one of those songs, uh, like kind of I mentioned before, where I didn't really think a lot of it when I was younger. And now it, it really, especially after that last song, you really need like something a little bit more upbeat after something like that. Like that was a, a, a very emotional point in the story. So I think now we're at another point in the story where um, you're almost in between like, is he going to go is he going to go up or is he going to go down? And so the song kind of keeps you right in that, right in the middle of that path, making it still a little unsure where you're going. And I think that in the storyline, it's kind of like him calling out to, to text, like, can you hear me now? Like, you know, like, are you still out there? Like, you know, struggling with, with death. And, and man, as a kid, I, I don't had no way to relate to what the hell was they were trying to tell with this story and how like it's, I think it's, it's very relatable, especially for like anybody that's had addiction or like, or was a musician and, and has gone up and down the, the, rise the popularity and train. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just um, a really beautifully done uh, just overall. But this is, I think another part of the, the story that's kind of cool. And again, it's another like really good mid paced sabotage, song and then um again like just that you get like that um that chris oliva guitar solo that's so pronounced and so well done but with those orchestrations and those keyboards in the background that magic of that brother and brother combo that like it it was just it's some some of these songs like this that where I used to think they were kind of more of filler type songs. It's the solos that I go to now where I'm just like, man, there's so, there's so much meat on the bone here that I just 
didn't pay attention to. It's like when you're a kid and you don't eat buffalo wings correctly and you throw the bone out and there's a shit ton of meat still on it. And then you need, and then somebody who knows better shows you like, Hey, idiot, you're supposed to eat the whole, all the meat off the bone, stupid. So yes, that's my Buffalo wing streets. Uh, Last week was five guys. This week it's Buffalo (laughs) Wild Wings. Um, New York City don't mean nothing. You had mentioned it earlier. You said it might not be your favorite track on here. I think it's an absolutely underrated gem. I love the acoustic guitar at the start. I think that it reminds me a lot of the bonus tracks that they've kind of re-recorded over the years in, in an acoustic fashion. And I think that Johnny Lee Middleton's bass on this is a real something that shines out, which you don't say much uh, overall. I think he just is kind of like in the background, although um, how can you not when Chris Oliva is playing next to you? But um, the guitar solo on this song is so simple, but so effective. And he just makes it sound so easy. I think New York City Don't Mean Nothing is is a track that I've actually appreciated more and more over the years. Yeah, I agree. Like, I love the way that it kind of picks up too. Like, you know, it's just like, it it almost has that... um, like in I'm Alive, where it's like dun, 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 dun. It, it kind of just builds into this this crescendo. Um, and again, it, it, it's there's a part in the story where the narration really kind of helps. Um, where this he runs into this other guy who's telling him the story, where he's like, "I've been here." It's in the lyrics. I've been here since '81, and he just says like, "Jesus tells Jesus like, get out of here." Cause New York city don't mean nothing like yeah. it, it. And so, you know, I always thought it, I feel like it's kind of harder to get the context of the, the, the story without the narrations to kind of try to tell you like who, whose point of view yes, the lyrics are. From. Cause yep. I don't think when we were younger, I don't think we realized that there were multiple people in the story beyond Jesus, Sammy and Tex. I mean, those are really the only people that are, outwardly mentioned lyric wise, but um, you hear the story and there's like, you know, there's uh, you know, there's the, the, the old musician and then the, the guy in this story. And then there's somebody, um, you know, another guy who, who just like a, a, like a complete stranger who like, who, who just dies. Um, so there's like, and like we were saying before with some of the tracks that didn't make it on the album, just sounds like there might've been a, a more grandiose scheme uh, I would love to know what like the full story would entail. It would be amazing to see it come to life, like visually and audibly on a stage perhaps. But um, it, it's, I mean, they did a hell of a job just condensing the story into what streets ended up being in the end. Yeah. Uh, well said. Well said. Um, I think that of all the tracks though, the, the, the biggest outlier for me is probably ghost in the ruins. I always thought that this track sounded just, sounded like a bit of an outlier track although i used to love it i don't know that i love it as much anymore i I, the chorus was always a big hook but for whatever reason i it just i think there's other tracks that maybe i overlooked when i was younger and now have kind of have this newfound appreciation for whereas this one i don't know that i like it as much um they still have the whole electric acoustic guitar thing going on here um, I think that the backing vocals during the choruses are really, really helpful. And I think it lends a lot of power to the songs. And again, I thought that Johnny Lee's bass on this track as well was, were, were, were standouts. Um, but for whatever reason, I just, it, it, it's just a tick less than I think I used to. It goes down a peg, I guess, as I've gotten older. Yeah. So it's probably, I would say this is probably my least favorite song on the album. Um, I do like when you hear that kind of, 
eerie, creepy, good, like acoustic guitar at the beginning. It it's, reminds me very much of, um, I, I want to say it was Scraggy's Tomb from Edge, mm. Edge of Thorns. Uh, just a very um, Chris Oliva-esque uh, intro. Um, there's some really good uh, John Oliva screams in this song, but I do think this is kind of a, kind of a connector of, of the story, I guess. I mean, even like the, um, even the narration prior to this is like, not, there's not a lot going on. Um, but again, like it's probably better than most other songs anybody else ever wrote. Yeah. (laughs) Point well taken. Um, and, and, and really for, for me, this is kind of like the, the, the back end of this album really just holds up as well as basically the back end of almost any album you'll hear. Uh, not least of which was if I go away, which I know you mentioned, you saw at TSO when they, when they played them on this, when they played it on this tour. Yeah. Um, it's, I think it, it has a whole different meaning to it now that like Paul is gone and Chris is gone as well. Um, and you know, sooner or later like a lot of these guys are probably not going to be around hopefully later but Mm. um man this song just hit me like a ton of bricks when i was a kid um because even outside of the context of the story it's so i think it's just so relatable just um asking yourself the question like what's your legacy if you're not there anymore like will you be remembered and and you know like you know how will you be remembered and in that sense, I feel like it was easily relatable even as a teenager. And even now I listen to it and it's just really, really beautiful. It's probably, it, like I said before, if it wasn't St. Patrick's, this probably would have been my song of the week just because I just don't think anybody does ballads the way Sabotage did. And and that I think is what really drew me into them as, as, a, as a kid, because I loved all the different sides of, of what this band could do three words to sum this track up beautiful emotional and introspective and i think that that just kind of hits the nail on the head for this one um john and a piano and that's all i need and this and it's just a phenomenal ballad and it's interesting because the the cd ends with four out of five tracks being ballads which is just something you i don't think is on any disc that i've ever heard except for this one um the only outlier being agony and ecstasy which is a really really iconic Chris Oliva riff to kick this things off. And it's a very heavy song. Um, what I love about John Oliva is that he just pours his heart and soul onto this particular track. The recording of this track is, is some of John Oliva's best work. And he just um, nearly raps like the pre-chorus, which is kind of cool. It's something you don't really expect from John Oliva. Um, and, and, and this song, I think, is ahead of its time in many ways because it's it's showing just the sheer diversity that the band is. It's again like the the story when you go from like if I go away, which again like going back to the story, I think that Jesus is saying to himself like, all right, if I'm going to become an addict again, I'm probably going to die. Like, what ha- what's going to happen if I go away? Um, and then and by the way, John's performance on if I go away is incredible um if i had any tears left after saint patrick's i probably would have shed them during this song um but anyway um agony and ecstasy 
is literally the moment where it the the he the it's the the drugs are the the are the one singing the song. I never really thought of it that way. I kind of thought of it more of it's from the point of view of a drug dealer because that part right at the end where he's like, "Just remember, if you ever need me, I'm here." But it's actually dr- the drugs in his brain saying to him, it, "It's so brilliant," and the song is so. Um, it's so tense and it's so. It, you feel your blood lends, pressure start to rise. Yeah, as you listen to it. It lends so well to to the metal style. I mean, it's it's just um, it's such a it's a, just on a roller coaster of an album. It's a roller coaster of a song. Um, and when you add that imagery to it, where like just these like it it just speeds up and it's just, it, it, you can just imagine just somebody's brain going a million miles an hour trying to decide like, what the hell are they going to do when this next, the next moment could define their, the rest of their life. I mean, yeah, it's it, just a, just a great song. I don't think I, this is another song. I don't think I appreciate as, as much when I was younger. I, 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 now it's one of my favorites on the whole album. It's also buried on the back, which I mean, we're not talking about track order here because I think, I think it speaks for itself, but it's it's maybe a victim of its own placement on the album because it is buried towards the back. And then you end the album with three ballads in a row. For, and for my money, you may as, it may as well be one track. And I know that sometimes Somewhere in Time and Believer lump together, but I would lump Heal My Soul, the, the preceding track in there as well. It is just a trilogy of powerful, powerful ballads that just end this album. Um, and, and thus I'll probably just talk about them all together just cause I think it's easy. And then you can kind of fill everyone on the end of the story. Um, heal my soul is another song about repentance and who doesn't like want to hear a song about that. It's Oliva and it's a piano. And this was another one that we saw at Prague power that I just absolutely loved. And I remember the chill, like the chill inducement that I had on my arms, like the hairs were sticking up on my arm. It was so beautiful. Then you go into somewhere in time, which is really the intro to, to believe, um, which is you know almost like a power ballad in many ways. Um, and the instrumental section here just screams TSO. I, I'd be shocked if they didn't play that in the past at some point, and if not, they will in the future, just because it screams TSO. And then believe might be their best song, arguably their best pure song that they've ever written, with just the best lyrics that I used to just sing because I knew every word of the song and I still do. And the irony is, what is it like three chords on the entire song? It's so simple, but it's so powerful. And that's what they do better than anyone else. And without beating a dead horse, there's a beauty in the simplicity here, which just the end of this album is like, if you haven't started crying at some point, this will, that'll do it. And then, and then, and then sign go off into the sunset. Yeah, I mean, when you think about it, it's like almost half this album is just these very emotional, really like heart wrenching kind of songs. Um, the man, I have to say, the narration before "Heal My Soul" it talks. It, it kind of goes into the fact that so D, DT has made this decision. He's going to get some drugs. He's going to score. He's this is it, and he finds this this like just guy who's just like you know, in, in an alley and just, he's, he's dying. He's just, and, and the, and he, he has this chat with this guy and and the guy says to him, you know, the worst thing in life is, is, is to die alone. And the guy, you know, just dies there in, in, in DT's arms. And I think it's at that point, like he has this epiphany that he's not going to go down this road again. And, and, you know, he can, he can have a better ending 
to his story. Um, and so again, you tack that onto an already emotional song and it gives a whole, you know, additional meaning. Um, the, the really kind of light, like organ sound that kind of is in the background of the song. It's very subtle, but also very haunting, almost like, like an angel is kind of like, he's like having this come to Jesus moment, no pun intended, you know, like, you know, snap out of it. Like, you know, do you still have a life to live? And then, um, the, the narration comes to a close before somewhere in time. Um, so like, cause somewhere in time and believe we're kind of paired together as well. I think uh, in the liner notes as well. Um, I always really liked somewhere in time. I thought it was a very underrated song. Um, it's, less heal my soul is just a quiet kind of john and his piano kind of song this is more where like the the, the guitars and the orchestration kick in and it's yes. really dramatic and it's really almost broadway-esque um i agree with you completely like this would be sick tso style like I don't know who would sing it. I don't know how John hasn't just gotten out there and done a song at some point with TSO. If anybody should have carte blanche on that stage, um, it's, it's John. Um, but uh, I, I think this is one of the most underrated sabotage songs of, of all time. Um, and believe it to me is a lot like, it's kind of like a, the bookend to Jesus saves where it's just, those are the two songs that I just beat to death over the years, but I uh, believe really is like the sabotage anthem. I mean, it really is. And I think that since Chris passed away, it's become even more of um, just even more of a, of a important note in, in the band's history. And they, in this song, they, they take a, um, they take a, a, a musical um, portion from when the crowds are gone and they reuse it in this and then they that'll get reused again in alone you breathe which was the song that you know i think that was the real i mean the whole album of handful of rain was john's therapy after chris passed away but i think that song was his goodbye letter to chris oliva and they bring back that same musical theme that kind of ties those three songs together so um but yeah, this is, I mean, I just remember when they played it live at Prague Power, the entire crowd was just singing along and swaying. And it was just like, and it was just like this kind of like cathartic group therapy moment where everybody was just experiencing this, the end of this incredible thing together. Um, it's it just, I think it's just such a lovely memory. I, I, I know one day we'll talk about, um, you know, like favorite, performances and stuff like that this is one of my all-time favorite things i've ever seen i mean maybe not even musical performances but just anything that i was have witnessed in my life uh 90 minutes of just Bliss. just my mind being blown and my heart like my emotions being taken on every part part you could imagine it was just a really amazing amazing uh experience yeah i, I mean what what else can you say um I'll, I'll just throw it out there. One to 10. Uh, you know, it's so hard because like, 
Oh my god! Remember when people were ranking Nightwish albums on uh, <laughs> online? I if you asked me to rank Sabotage albums, I don't know that if I could. Um, I I think I would. I'd have to give this album a a, a nine point seven five. Um, I think that's just some of the some of the songs that aren't all time classics drag it down just the slightest bit. Yeah. But I mean, it's it's pretty much as close to to perfection as anything i ever heard is it my favorite sabotage album of all time i don't know i i think that this and wake of magellan for me are always going to be like this i think is always going to be the the epitome of the john song albums and wake is going to be the epitome of the zach song albums but um i'll take it one step further i don't this may i don't know that just because the score on this is higher or lower that it necessarily means it's my favorite in other words, I can argue – I argue that even though it might be their best, I don't know that it's my favorite, if that makes sense. I'm going to give it a 9.5, um, damn near close to perfect. I, I was weighing between a 9.5 and 9.75. You can put them in a hat at this point. Um, but this is about as close to perfection as you can possibly get. So excellent choice. I'm glad you picked it. Yeah, I mean – to be fair, like, I don't know. I think any Sabotage album, you know, with maybe Fight for the Rock notwithstanding is is probably a nine or higher. I mean, maybe some of the, maybe Sirens and Power of the Night, I, I don't I don't know. Um, but, like, as far as everything from, like, Hall of the Mountain King till, till pretty much till uh, Poets and Mad Men, I mean, this is some... This is some streak of <laughs> of albums that this and then band it just falls out. off a cliff and it ends. But uh, good choice. I'm glad. I'm glad you picked it. I want to uh, quickly just mention a couple or a few tours that are a lot of tour news this week. I, I mentioned uh, the new Neabla Viscaris single last week. Well, they've announced a full U.S. tour going out with Beyond uh, Beyond Creation and Persephone, who is phenomenal live. Uh, October 5th in Baltimore, ending up in New York City on November 13th. I'll raise your hand if you're going to that show. I'll, I'll, I'm looking forward to seeing both of those bands. Uh, Haken, also uh, a band that we've covered in the archives, is going out with Arch Echo, who toured with Dream Theater last year. May 3rd in Nashville, ending June 3rd in Chicago. So they'll be doing a run of shows for about a month and a show that was announced today, which is particularly interesting, Enslaved doing a co-headlining tour with Insomnium beginning April 5th in New York City, ending April 30th in Baltimore. Um, I've always wanted to see Enslaved, so this looks like one that I'll be catching as well for the first night of the tour. So uh, just a couple of... Bring that, bring that box of tissues. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, which brings us to our last... Uh, episode for the year and I wanted to do something a little bit different and a little bit special but I I, I think you're going to appreciate this um I am not sure is there how- another episode that might be coming out before that oh yeah well that's, <laughs> you know what you're absolutely right but the last album episode you want to you want to talk a little bit about the uh, special treat we have in store sure sure um on uh Thursday we're, we're gonna just drop a um an interview that uh we did with Ashley Edison of, of power quest and Dendera. And, uh, as you may have heard, he's, um, he's, uh, in another, another band and, uh, he wanted to come on and, and kind of give us the scoop of, of how it all went down. And, uh, and, um, 
he goes into uh, detail about um, pow- the plans for Power Quest's final year, as well as uh, plans for Dendera. And uh, but uh, we'll let you hear that from um, from the man himself, uh, our first repeat uh, interviewee, which is uh, a real honor, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it was really great catching up with him. He's a, a really awesome guy. So uh, we thought it'd be nice to uh, have him kind of. Just give us a little update as to what's going on, and and uh, he's he's got his uh, got a lot of hats on right now. So he'll talk. He talks about that, and uh, a lot of balls in the air, if you will. Yeah, a lot of balls in the air. So that's a little a little something to get you between this uh, episode and um, the the next episode, which you're going to tell us about. Yes. Right now. So uh, a band that I've always wanted to talk about. They came out with a few albums back in two thousand and one and two thousand and three, and not only have we had requests for this band, but they've been on my personal list as well. And like I said, they have two albums. So we're going to do a career retrospective because two albums for Lost Horizon. So it's as my. As soon as you said, as soon as you said two albums retrospective, I knew. I knew my, that's what it was. My, my be. gift to you, my power metal loving friend, is a Lost Horizon retrospective for a very, very short career for this Swedish uh, heavy, for this Swedish power metal band. Um, we haven't talked about Daniel Hyman on the show. We haven't talked about the fact that Jockey hands Hammerfall with their original singer. But no, we'll, we'll get to all Didn't of that. Didn't even know and, that. Yeah, it's, it's, I didn't know it either. But apparently he used to be the singer before they recorded. So we'll get to all that and more um, to end the year on a high note. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you something really, really funny. I almost chose this exact episode months ago really? while I was like panic choosing something at the end of one of the episodes i didn't pick anything and i'm just doom scrolling through my itunes and i got i was i got to l and i was like man if we like this would be something where we probably just need to do both albums and just so it's kind of funny that that would come up again that's i'm excited that's going to be really interesting are you with these guys not very but no joke i was in the car just the other day and pure came on not if I I was actually at um, Pizza Hut. Um, <laughs> no, uh, Pure, which is pretty much the one song I really know well. That song came on, and I was like, "Man, how how did this band get so popular off of two albums and then just disappear? Like, what a fascinating! It's a great that, story. It's a great yeah. story." or kind of a tragic story, but it's, I felt like it was in order to do this justice, we have to do both of them. They're not very long albums. There's not a million tracks on these albums. So there's, it's digestible. And um, I'm almost happy that you haven't heard it because I have a feeling your mind's about to be blown. There's some phenomenal material on these two albums. Yeah. I'm ex- I'm excited. I don't, and I'm not really even sure why, you know, I talk about, I like, have a reason for that. And, I, okay. and I'll just, I may as well let the cat out of the bag. I think this is when, you know, it's, we're in college you kind of fell off the, the the cliff here a little bit around this time. It was oh, just- I mean, I know I know why I didn't listen to it when it came out. It's just like I talk about being overwhelmed by massive discographies. This band has the opposite of that. You know, it's <laughs> like go and listen to two albums and you you got it. It's not like you know digging through the UFO discography or the Iron Maiden discography. Um, so all right, whatever. Like my my laziness will be rectified uh, by next week. So. 
my my Christmas gift to you, my friend. Uh, thanks for listening. We love uh, we love the, all the comments and the engagement. It's been phenomenal. Uh, invite your friends into the chat if you think they have something to contribute. We'd love to hear more voices and uh, more opinions. And we'll, invite them uh, even if you don't think they have anything to contribute. <laughs> we right. need our numbers to grow. <laughs> uh, they can just look, lurk. They can lurk in the darkness for all as, many, as many do because we know you're in there. It's just you don't seem to have very much to say uh, for some of you. But I digress. Uh, the Ashley Edison interview, Lost Horizon, and then we will get into uh, the best of 2022 as we as we venture into January of next year. Uh, enjoy the week, my friend. I will talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Always, uh, always an absolute pleasure to talk about sabotage, as, as you may have noticed, based on my long-winded nature. Um, I'll, I'll try to keep it briefer, more and more brief next week. Cheers. Take care, buddy.